Hey, turn with me to Philippians 2, if you don't mind. This is not going to be on the screen behind me, so you can listen or read, follow along. Philippians 2, verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So Paul, what Paul is doing right here is he's setting his audience up, okay? When he asks this question, he's not actually asking them. It's like a rhetorical question. He's saying, you know, if you guys have been encouraged at all from being delivered from your sins, you know, if, you know, being united with Christ is something you like, then consider this. Uh, if you have any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the spirit, this is all Paul setting his audience up for what he's gonna say next. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Then lastly, verse five, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So this is a pretty tall order. Do you ever feel that when you hear those words? Like, wow, Paul is really laying the gauntlet down for how our relationships should look with one another in the church. Um, be like-minded. Have the same love, one in spirit. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Base your relationships off the mindset that Jesus had about his relationships. I don't know how you feel, but when I read that, I'm like, wow, okay. How, the bar is set very high here. And what I want to talk about this morning is one of the ways that I think we can actually live into what Paul is admonishing us and encouraging us to live into here. Jesus has done a transformational work in anyone's life who has come to him, anyone who's come to Jesus and said, I give my allegiance to you above everything else. My sole allegiance is to you. A crazy, amazing work happens in us. The Holy Spirit comes inside, changes us, renews us. And we actually become a new person. It's like we're born again. But that, that born again baby needs to learn skills to actually live like Jesus. Yeah. To actually live like a person who is not, I mean, who here actually does things frequently out of what's best for them? Every hand in the room goes up, right? You know? But Paul is actually calling us to not first do things that benefit us, but to think about how our, our um, actions, our behaviors, our speech impacts those around us. So I want to share with you guys this morning what I think is like a cornerstone fundamental skill that we need to employ and able to live out this sacrificial love. And what, I'm not going to tell you the skill yet. Um, what, G, what Paul goes on to do is he goes on to tell this poem, verse 6 through 11, which is like an incredible, exquisite, theological, um, you know, poem that, that Paul says that theologians base so much doctrine off of today. And it, he, he's basically talking about how Jesus, in his exalted state, came down to earth and took on a form of weakness, all the way down to the point of Jesus dying. God, going from ruler, king of the universe, to human flesh, to dying. And then how he was exalted through that, when he got to the lowest point, then he was exalted back up to king of the universe. 
And it just hit me this morning as I was reading this that Paul is using the kind of like one of the, he's using the gospel message to contextualize how we should live, how we should love one another inside of the church. And the way I think we can live into this is through the discipline, the practice, the skill of listening. And what I want to propose to you guys this morning is that listening is a lost art of biblical love. Listening is a lost art of biblical love. Before I go any further, I give credit to my message title to Luke, because he actually came up with this axiom. But let's consider some verses in the Bible about the idea of talking and listening and going a little bit of a journey together this morning as we, as we seek to grow in the, the gift and the discipline of listening. So Proverbs 10:19 says this: "When there are many words, wrongdoing is unavoidable, but one who restrains his lips is wise. The more we speak, the more we sin. <laughs> The more we talk, at least the more opportunity we have for wrongdoing and sin. But this word restraining, I think it's so, it really captures me for some reason. Maybe I don't use that word much or something, but restraining. When we consciously choose not to say something that we want to say, what we're doing is exercising wisdom. When we make the choice to not say something that we want to say, in my case, it's usually when I want to say something I think is going to be funny. I'm actually exercising wisdom in that moment. So restraint, self-imposed limits are actually a sign of wisdom. Look at how the world lives. No limits. That's the gospel of America is no limits. (laughs) That's the opposite. That's the wisdom from below. The wisdom from above is restraint, is self-imposed limits. Now, this isn't a universal law. There's a reason that the book of Proverbs is called Proverbs, because you have to apply it when it's um, appropriate. There are times to speak up, okay? There are times when many words are necessary. But if we're going to take a a quick poll, and we're going to say, what do you struggle with more, saying too much or restraining your speech? Most of us, at least experts in the room, would say, I struggle more with saying too much, right? So the next proverb puts this even more bluntly. Proverbs 17, 28. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. (laughs) Don't look to your neighbor and say, pay attention to that verse, okay? Don't turn to your spouse right now and say, let's memorize this verse this week, okay? Don't do that. That's not a good idea, okay? But if I'm being honest, something I constantly need to remind myself, and this is like a Cochrane thing, is that I am not the smartest person in the room. When I come into a room or I come into a conversation, I am not the bearer of wisdom and knowledge to that event, to that conversation. And... When I remember that, what I'm doing is I'm considering others higher than myself. I'm, I'm tapping into curiosity within myself. I'm shutting my mouth. And at least I'm seeming intelligent, okay? That's like the best thing you get out of this. Now, James 1.19 really drives this whole thing home. 
My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. It hits me like the, how he twice, he kind of like, um, he's getting their attention with this statement. He's not just like going through a list of ideas. First he says, my dear brothers and sisters, like pay attention. And then he says, take note of this, literally pay attention. It's like he says, pay attention twice. Pay attention, pay attention. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. So let's start with what James says we need to be slow to do. Slow to speak and slow to become angry. Remember Proverbs 10, 19? It, it used a great word for being slow to speak. Restraining. Is my speech restrained? That's, like the, that's a great way to think of what it means to be slow to speak. Is Am I, intelligent, am I intentional about the words that I say and how frequently I choose to say them? It's not just saying everything that comes to mind or everything we think is interesting in a conversation or in a dialogue. Now, slow to becoming angry, this is deeper. This is an actual condition of our heart, okay? Slow to, slow to speak is something you can choose to do. Slow to become angry isn't as much a choice. We're not, we wish we were, some of us do at least, that we could kind of curate our emotions. We could choose which emotions we feel when, you know? But that's not really how it works, right? That's not how our humanity works. And what's even cool is we even see Jesus become angry. So we know that anger is not a bad emotion, okay? Guilt isn't a bad, like anger is not a bad emotion. Jesus experienced it. Jesus was motivated by it at times. But he was slow to become angry rather than quick to become angry. So another way to put this slow to become angry thing is that we're not easily offended or triggered. It's not that we're never offended or triggered. It's that we're not easily offended or triggered. And then when we do experience that flood of anger that kind of just bursts out of nowhere, it's like someone did something that really wasn't that big of a deal, but boom, my defenses are up. I'm in fight or flight. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to what? Talk, you know? That we would actually take that, that like, burst, that, that rush, you know, sometimes that burst of emotion is good. You know, like if someone is being physically hurt and you feel angry, that's a really good thing because it motivates you to act. If my kid is crying and I react quickly, that's a positive thing because it's actually sending the right chemicals into my body to do something quickly. But there's other times where you feel anger, where we're triggered, where we're offended, where what we actually need to do is the opposite of what we're feeling inclined to do where that offense or that triggeredness we are experiencing, someone says something at dinner or you read something in the news, instead of that being a cue to confront or to um, speak out, oftentimes that's a cue for us to pause and take a mental note and say, hey, Lord, I wanna process this with you. I wanna know why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling before I react, before I confront, before I figure this out. It's not that we should never confront, it's that we should take our, the, the, the anger we feel as a sign that we need to process something with Jesus and, and maybe a confidant. So that's slow to speak and slow to become angry. But what I want to talk about today is listening. And that's actually the first um, direction that James gives in this verse. He says to be quick to listen. 
So make it our default to listen. We should be intentional about listening to others. Like I said earlier, I believe that listening is a lost art of biblical love. And I think that we as a church body are reclaiming that lost art. That we're gonna be a people who actually learn and grow and are intentional at listening. Paul puts, or uh, James puts it here as quick to listen. Another term we could use would be active listening, which I'll define in just a second. Um, I just wanna point out though that obviously that word listening is super broad. I don't think that when, my case for the, the, the case I wanna make that James is talking about active listening is this. Listening is so broad. He can't possibly mean here just take in noise. You know what? If you are hard of hearing or deaf, then this verse doesn't apply to you because you can't, literally cannot listen. No, he's talking about something much deeper than just the physiological function of sound waves going into our ears and then going into our brain. He's talking about something that is called active listening. And here's my definition for us of active listening. Listening with the goal of understanding and with methods that ensure understanding. Active listening is when we listen with the goal of understanding and then with methods that ensure understanding or that promote understanding. So there's three key words here in this definition I came up with. Goals, method, and understanding. When I say goal, what I'm talking about is our motive. So when we think about where love starts, it starts in our motives, right? It starts in our heart. It starts in our inner being. To express love in our listening, it also has to start with our motives. How often do we listen to others just to respond? How often are we listening, thinking about what we're going to say to what they are saying right now? Or what we think about what they are saying right now? I want to propose to you that those aren't biblical, that's, those aren't goals based in biblical love. So our, our goal is really important. Now methods, what I mean here is simple tools, which I'm gonna go over a couple of simple tools um, that help us ensure understanding. Asking follow-up questions, um, simple statements we can make that promote the other person talking more and signaling to them that we're still listening, they can keep talking. And then lastly, understanding. When I say understanding, what I'm talking about here is that we comprehend the intended meaning of what's being communicated to us. The intended meaning. This takes some investigation. This takes some work. It's the same thing with the Bible. What we want to do with Scripture is we want to understand what the authors intended it to mean. We don't want to jump to a conclusion and just say, this is what that means. We want to say, okay, what exactly did this mean when it was first written, when it was first spoken? It's the same thing when people speak to us today. To really understand them, we have to try and tap into the intent we have to investigate. We have to think, you know, they might not be communicating perfectly. I'm going to take the time to dig a little deeper and understand exactly what they're saying. So to flesh out passive or active listening more, I want to compare it to what I'm going to call passive listening. Just to bring more flesh and bones to what active listening looks like, um, let's consider what passive listening looks like. So the next slide, passive listening, Boo. Active listening, yay, good, okay? 
Passive listening is something that we're doing all the time, albeit unintentionally. As long as our hearing is good, you know, we're taking in sound. And I think one of the ways that we passively listen is when we actually give a low to medium amount of attention to the thing or person communicating or speaking to us. So one form of passive listening has to do with how much attention we are giving to the person speaking. Whether that means that we're on our phone, we're doing another task, um, we're just zoned out. It's about passive listening is partially when our attention isn't given to the person who's asking for it. It's kind of like when we listen with our ears only, but not with our heart. It's when our ears are taking in sound, but our heart is not taking in sound. Now, I will admit that I am guilty of this, unfortunately, frequently towards my wife. I'm doing the dishes or I'm uh, just coming, I'm, I'm on my phone or whatever. Maybe we're even in conversation and I'm just not paying attention. And usually what I end up doing is I either have a very, very delayed response. Like, so uh, what, you know, what do you think I should cook for dinner next week? How about spaghetti? How about we grill out? And it's like, clearly you are not actually giving me your attention because of how long it took. It's like, husbands, it's better just not even respond at all than to do that long delay, okay? That is not something my wife likes. And it's because I'm not giving her attention. I'm not actually being present with her in the moment. The other really stupid thing I'll do is I will realize mid her words that I'm not actually paying attention to her words, but I'll like catch one or two of them. And then I'll give an answer that's like a random stab in the dark. Like, so what do you think we should do for meal prep next week? I'll be like, yeah, I prefer Kroger over Meyer for sure. Like gr groceries, you know, food. What? I'm just gonna say something. And this kind of sound, you know, I'm making a little bit light of it, but ultimately over the long term, when someone doesn't feel like they're getting our attention, the message they're really receiving is that they're not a priority to us. And you know, do this once, whatever, do this twice, whatever, but make this a habit, make this a pattern of how you communicate with people. And what you're gonna be communicating to them is, you are not a priority to me. Connecting with you, hearing you is actually not something that is high on my list of things to do. Now, another way that we can passively listen, which I would say is kind of worse, honestly, is when we are truly paying attention, but, but like I said earlier, we just don't have the right motive for paying attention. We are listening. I am focused on you as you're talking to me. I'm hearing the words you're saying. <clears throat> I'm not doing anything else. I'm not multitasking. But I am more focused on what I wanna say in response or even what I think of what you're saying than what you're actually saying. If not paying attention is listening with our ears only, then thinking about what I wanna say in response is listening with my mind only. We're called to listen from our heart, not just with our ears, not just with our mind. They're both important, we need them both, but it has to start in our heart. And just who's experienced this before in the room? You know, who's experienced where you were pouring your heart out to someone, you're sharing something of somewhat significance and their response totally catches you off guard because it has much more to do with their response to the important thing you were saying has much more to do with them than what you were even saying to them. Yeah. Who's experienced that before? Like, that's no good, right? That's not how we build connection. That's not how we build love. That's not how we have healthy, thriving relationships. 
And Jesus said that the world would know we were his disciples by the way that we loved one another. So this is important, that we love each other in a way that is countercultural and that is notable. Some of my greatest pastoral blunders, first of all, whoever made me a pastor, mistake, but um, <laughs> just kidding. Some of my greatest pastoral blunders, I don't mean that. Um, some of my greatest pastoral blunders have, con- have come from this, have come from me thinking more about what I wanted to say or really evaluating what the other person was saying while they were saying it rather than trying to understand what they were saying while they were saying it. A good friend of mine here in the church, luckily our relationship is strong and we kind of made it through this little, little blip and road bump, uh, speed bump, but he was telling me about the way a Christian author had impacted him and this, the, how this itinerant evangelist had impacted him. We were at breakfast and how it was intersecting with the bigger picture of what God was doing in his life, da, 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 da. And I just so happened to not really care for or approve with a lot of this author's message, okay? And so I was triggered. I was thinking right away, okay, what are all the things I need to tell my friend is wrong with this person that they've been listening to and this writer and, and their message? And so when he pauses for me to respond, that's what I do. I start telling him all the things I think are wrong with what's going, with what he's heard from this, um, this preacher, this author. And that, that breakfast turned into like a really awkward, tense kind of like, like not, I don't want to say fight, but like a fight. <laughs> Didn't end well. We have a follow-up conversation a couple of days later on the phone and it got even worse. It was like, we're like yelling at each other on the phone. And finally, in exasperation, he just said to me, Wilson, I don't feel like you're even trying to understand what I'm saying to you. You're nitpicking everything I'm saying and you're just focused on um, telling me everything you think is wrong with this person. And it hit me and I was like, oh my gosh, she's right. I, this whole time, have been basing this conversation off of my thoughts about what he's saying and my thoughts about the person that he's been influenced by rather than starting from the place of what is he actually trying to say to me? I want to take time to understand what he's saying and, how, and what's actually going on in his life. So that's passive listening. Everyone say boo. boo. Let's talk about active listening. So passionate. <clears throat> so with active listening, there's been two major influences in my life when it comes to active listening. Remember, again, let's put the definition back up, Denise. Active listening is listening with a goal of understanding and with methods that ensure understanding. That's active listening. Two major influences in my life here. Number one has been my mom, Lori Cochran. She started the Barnabas coach ministry here in our church. She didn't invent that ministry, but she pioneered it here in this church along with Barb Steffens and Jen Utek has played a huge role. But my mom persisted and convinced Luke and I, who lead the staff, that this was a really important class the church did, a really important training. And so much so that we even needed to take all of a whole section, basically like all of the pastors, all the ministry leaders on staff in the church through the Barnabas coach training. And it was through going through that training that I really began to learn um, what active listening was and, and how, to un- how, to have, how to understand people and just the practical tools of how to understand people. So huge shout out to her. Second person that's really influenced me is Luke. There is no one I know who models active listening better than Luke. 
when, we, when Luke and I first um, got caught up in this house group thing, about in 2014, one of our friends who is far from God got saved. We started a little discipleship group with him and a couple other kind of hungry, desperate guy, friends of ours. Started studying the Bible together, praying together. And then before he knew it, there was like 20 guys. And then we started inviting girls because we all wanted to get married. And it just <laughs> blew up from there, okay? And we had like five groups throughout the city, several hundred young adults. And Luke and I, I led one group, Luke, Luke led a group, and then we had empowered and raised up other leaders to lead these groups apart from, apart from us. And we just basically oversaw those leaders. We'd meet with them, train them. We'd get together meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting. Um, just kidding, but seriously. And basically kind of like pastor them, help them through problems they were facing uh, to the best of our ability. And what I would notice is that when I would be like in charge of helping some, Luke and I did so much ministry as a pair. Like we would meet with people as a pair and um, do tons of this leadership development stuff as a pair. And what I started to notice was that when I kind of took lead, I was batting like 500, okay? Like 50-50, whether or not I was gonna walk away from that meeting or that conversation feeling like, okay, God used me and that was actually helpful. <laughs> which in baseball, that's great to bat 500. But in leadership, you wanna bat much higher than 500, okay? If you're only hitting about 50%, you know, like you might wanna reconsider. And what I saw is Luke was batting more like 900. <laughs> like 90% of the time, we would walk away and just talk, oh my gosh, like, did you see the light bulb go off in that person's head when you said that and when they had this realization? And, and then we would see fruit come from it. And I just wondered like, what is the difference here? How come Luke is doing so much better at this than me? Well, when we took the Barnabas coach training, this was like three years, four years ago, everything clicked for me. I realized, oh my gosh, Luke is practicing active listening with our leaders. When there was a pause in conversation, I would take that as my moment to jump in with all of my advice and my wisdom. And think, here, you know, I, you know, I've been diagnosing your problem the whole time because I'm super freaking smart. And <laughs> finally, you've stopped talking so I can tell you what you need to do, you know? And I batted about five out of 10 there, okay? Luke, when there'd be a pause, Luke would actually let the pause breathe. There'd just be a longer pause. And like, come on, talk, you know? <laughs> Or he would say something like, oh man, interesting, tell me more about that. Or sometimes Luke would summarize what the person had said to him and then stop talking. And then they would clarify all the ways that Luke had misunderstood them and they would open up all this other stuff. And half the time we would leave these meetings with people being like, thank you so much, that was such expert wisdom, oh my gosh, it was so helpful. And Luke and I would be like, we barely said anything. <laughs> Like we really didn't say much at all. Luke just asked a bunch of good questions and paused a lot. <laughs> and so if we want to be used to help other people get unstuck when they have problems, if we want, I mean, who in the room wants to cast demons out of people? Who wants to be used to help people get free from generational strongholds? To, to um reject lies they believe, to be healed from trauma that they've experienced. Listening is like the tip of the spear when it comes to deliverance ministry and inner healing ministry. 
if you can't listen well, not only to the Holy Spirit, we need to get words of knowledge, we need to hear God's voice, but we also need to be able to hear what is this person actually saying? Like, do you like it when you go to your doctor and he just, you say like, here are my two symptoms, and he's like, boom, prescription. <laughs> no, like, well, what about all these other symptoms? Can I tell you more? Can you understand the, the breadth of the problem? We do that so much when we're trying to do inner healing and deliverance because we didn't actually listen, understand what's really going on, let the person flesh it out, and then we can minister with accuracy and precision. One of my neighbors this summer called me up and I was, he's like, hey, what's up? And I was like, nothing. And I'm thinking, why are you calling me, man? We don't ever just chat. He's like, hey, you got a minute to talk? I'm like, sure. So we start talking and he just begins to pour his heart out to me about a situation in his life with one of his children. And it's like gritty details. And I'm just sitting there like looking, like, can you believe he's talking about this right now? What's going on? And I just listen the whole time. Finally, at the end, he asks me what I would do. I share him, I give him a tiny bit of advice and I pray for him and move him one step closer to allegiance to Jesus. Move him one step closer to, uh, to surrendering his life to Jesus. Imagine how that conversation would have went if I had interrupted him halfway through him talking about the crisis in his family and said, well, hey, you know, I've been through a situation like that before too. Let me tell you about what happened in my life, blah, 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 and here's what I think you should do. No, it was through active listening, pausing, reflecting, and waiting for the other person to give me the chance to share, if I even had anything to share, that breakthrough came in this guy's life. So listening, leadership, it's gonna be, it's clutching leadership development. It's clutching pastoring, it's clutching deliverance, it's clutching evangelism. Listening is one of the, it's part of the tip of the spear of the kingdom of God breaking through and breaking into people's life. So let's talk a little bit about this statement, listening, a lost art of biblical love. I think I've convinced you so far that, that listening is biblical love, but let's just look at 1 Corinthians 13 for a second um, to reinforce this, this whole idea of Listening being biblical love. 1 Corinthians 13, four through seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. One of the, a great way that we can embody patience is by restraining our speech, by not talking and allowing the other person to speak. Some of the kindest people I know, if love is kind, it's the people that I feel like are present and there with me. And I know they're there with me because they're listening to me. And they're, they're not communicating with their nonverbals that they're ready to jump in now. It, it's not self-seeking. So much, our conversations are actually self-seeking endeavors. Someone says something that we, and I'm not trying to spank us all, okay? This is a loving admonishment to how we can live more into love for one another. But so often, our conversations just switch to what was interesting in my life about what you just said. And we go there. So, Love is, or listening is biblical love. Let's go on to this, this next word that Luke chose. It's an art. 
Here's Robert Logan, the founder of Barnabas Coaching Ministry. He says, the art of it, referring to active listening, is actually to capture what the other person is saying. Part of the reason we believe that active listening is an art is because it's something we have to practice and learn. It's not, unfortunately, it's not what comes natural to most personality types. Some people are just born listeners and they're just great at it and they just exude safety. And bless you all in the room who are like that. But for people who are more like me, who love to talk and have thoughts, this is a, we need to think of this as like, this is an art form. This isn't something I'm gonna do perfect right away, but I'm gonna take baby step after baby step after baby step to grow in this expression of biblical love. And it's also an art because when we do it well, it's a thing of beauty. Other people are actually in awe. I've, been, I've, had, I've had meetings with people where I practice active listening very thoroughly. Just, I really listen and reflect it a lot. And they go away just saying, thank you so much. I just can't believe you listened to me like that. And what I think is happening is like, they're kind of caught up in the good feeling, the beauty of someone prioritizing what they have to say over everything else and focusing and listening to them. Now, lost. It's a lost art of biblical love. Robert Putnam from Harvard University did a study in conjunction with Duke. And what he said is, what he, what he, he did, it was called Bowling Alone. And it was all about what Americans' communal lives look like. And what he found was that Americans on average have between zero and one confidants in their life. Zero and one confidants. That means people that we can really go to that we know are gonna just accept us, hear us, and be there for us when we need to share. This is something that's lost. This is something that, it's like a secret trap door into leading people to Jesus and developing deep relationships with them, okay? I don't wanna make it sound like too transactional or sneaky here, but you will set yourself apart from your far from God coworker, your far from God neighbor, your far from God family member, if you shut your mouth and listen to them. Ask them questions. If you express curiosity in people, it shocks them. When you say, wow, that's crazy. Tell me more about that. How'd you learn that? Or, oh, so when did that first happen for you? That blows people's socks off. And it actually develops a bond of intimacy that makes you someone safe for them to return to later. This is like a secret ninja evangelism trick we can do, is listening. Now I wanna end by talking with... Um, Robert Logan's four cardinal rules of listening, okay? Here's Robert Logan's four cardinal rules of listening. Number one, focus. Number two, summarize. Number three, invite. And number four, clarify. This comes from a book called Coaching 101 by Robert Logan and Sherilyn Carlton. Um, it's part of the Barnabas Coaching uh, course. And this is all just a really big plug for that class, by the way. If you've never taken that class or hasn't caught your interest, I hope that today it is and that you'll jump in. So here are the four cardinal rules of listening. Focus, summarize, invite, and clarify. Here's, this is a little bit lengthy, um, but I'm gonna read each of his descriptions of these words. And then I'm just, gonna, I'm just gonna read through these and then we're gonna end by turning to our neighbors and just sharing, hey, what is God speaking to me about right now? What's God highlighting in my mind and my heart from this message um, about listening. And we're just gonna quickly take like three or four minutes just to process that. And I'll pray for us, we'll call it a wrap, okay? So his four corner rules. Number one, focus. 
This is when we give undivided attention to the person who is talking without allowing our mind to drift off toward what we'd like to say next or concerns in our own life. That's what it means to focus. Undivided attention, I am disciplining myself to pay attention to what they're saying and to think about what they're meaning compared to what I think or what I wanna say next. Second cardinal rule of listening, we summarize. Summarizing is mirroring back what people are saying. At appropriate stopping points, reflect back what you hear the person saying without, interpret without interpreting, evaluating, or projecting feelings onto the person's statements. What this looks like is saying something like, wait. <laughs> Summarizing is saying back, some, so they, they're telling you about interaction and you say, oh, so they said this and then you said that? That's an example of summarizing. And it invites the other person to continue to talk more about the thing you just summarized. Next step is that we invite. This is so true, it's uncanny. When a person talks a bit about a topic and then stops, ask for more. Often, people will introduce an issue, then stop discussing it prematurely because they are uncertain of the interest level of their audience. We often edit ourselves as we speak because we are used to short attention spans in our listeners and because we have orphaned spirits. Just kidding. Um, we just aren't, we don't usually think that, we're, that people want to hear about us. So sometimes we need an invitation from them to talk more about that thing. I love it so much when I get an invitation to talk more. Do you, don't you love that when you're talking about something you're passionate about and they ask you a question that lets you speak more? That just makes me feel so full and like I'm really cared about. So you can say something like, tell me more. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, wow, tell me more. da 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 <laughs> Or what else? They talk a bunch and you can tell it's meaningful to them. When they pause, you say, what else? Keep going. And look at how much more they'll actually say. They'll probably talk longer on the second half than they did on the first half. So beware, okay? Um, <laughs> and then lastly, clarify. Sometimes we are quick to understand someone. Sometimes we think that we understand someone. We're quick to think we understand. We aren't really on the same page after all. Check your assumptions by asking, here's what I'm hearing you say so far. Is that correct? You'll be surprised how often a helpful correction is made. So many conflicts and fights and breakdowns in relationship we get into are all based in misunderstanding. And when we take the time to say to them what we want them to say to us, which is, is this what you're saying? This is what I'm hearing? Like, don't we love it when people clarify with us and try and make sure they're really understanding us when we're in a tense conversation? Well, my challenge is that we would do that first and that we would clarify first. What I hear you saying is X, Y, Z. Is that right? Other than letting them clarify. Father, we want to listen like you do. God, I experience you listening to me all the time. You listen to me so much. In fact, if you want to talk more, that'd be great. Lord, we want to, we want to live like you. We want to imitate God. We want to imitate our master, Jesus, our Lord, our friend, Jesus. So right now, in Jesus' name, I release grace through the Spirit of God Holy Spirit, will you release grace over the room 
to be active listeners. Where we have felt like this isn't natural for us and we can't do it, we just break that lie in Jesus' name and we release hope, confidence. And God, will you just impart supernaturally skills? Will you surprise us with our newfound tendency to listen, to invite, to be curious, to ask questions? And Lord, all of this for your glory, so that you're made famous on the earth, so that you're represented well. God, I ask you for breakthrough this week in relation, specifically, I'm just feeling like relationships in work, where you've, you've had a hard, a hard coworker and you're gonna put a couple of these things into place and it's gonna literally bring your coworker to tears. You pausing and listening. I just hear God saying that, that that's, that's for some people in this room is with your coworkers. Thank you, God, for if we'll take this into our marriages, the way that it will bring transformation and deepened intimacy and connection into our marriages. We love you, God, and we bless you. And right now, too, we receive your love, Lord. As we go into this next week, just put your hand on your heart. We just walk into this week as adopted children of Abba. We're loved. You love us because you love us because you love us. It is your joy to love us. You love to love us. We honor you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.